The information contained in this podcast is an expression of opinion and does not constitute investment advice. This is the Gold Money Foundation podcast with Dominic Frisbee, keeping you up to date with expert opinion on precious metals and the markets. Well, this is a historic occasion. You're listening to the first ever Gold Money podcast brought to you by the Gold Money Foundation. I'm Dominic Frisby and I'm going to be presenting these shows. And today I'm sitting in a very pleasant restaurant in the West End of London with the founder and chairman of Gold Money, James Turk. James, hello. Hi, Dominic. It's, um, it's October the 6th. Uh, we've just had a fall in gold of almost $400 uh, from high to low, from uh, $1,930 to uh, $1,550. In percentage terms, I've only known two falls like this. One was in May 2006 when we went from about 730 to 550, and then again in uh, 2008 when we went from over 1,000 to 680. Um, is this another one of these kind of two or three, three yearly wipeouts that we have, or is it the beginning of something more serious? No, I think it's not the beginning of anything ser more serious, and it is just one of these periodic... Uh, um, moves in the gold price, uh, you know, to the downside. Um, what everybody should be looking at is whether there have been any fundamental changes in the outlook for gold, or have there been any factors that would cause you to move out of gold into national currencies. Um, and the answer is, you know, no. Uh, central banks are still printing too much money. Uh, the sovereign debt crisis is getting worse. It's not getting better. You know, it's now becoming apparent that it's only a matter of time before, you know, Greek defaults on its 400-year uh, 400 billion euros uh, of debt. Um, the ECB solvency is still being called into question uh, because it has so much um, Mediterranean government debt on its balance sheet. So, you know, the price is lower, uh, but, you know, the outlook for gold still remains very, very bullish. And the thing is, while all this is going on, you kind of forget America's problems and England's problems and... Yeah, it's pretty bad on this side of the channel as well. You know, we were just looking at that chart of U.S. Uh, U.K. government spending, and despite all of the talk, um, they really haven't cut back at all. On, they're spending more. Yeah, yeah, it just continues to rise. And the, that would be okay if revenue were keeping up with it. The problem is there's a huge gap between what the U.K. government is spending and what they're receiving as revenue. And it's the exact same thing on the other side of the uh, pond. Uh, the U.S. government is not really addressing the fundamental problem that it's spending so much money uh, that, you know, we're still on this road to what I call the uh, road to hyperinflation. Okay, well, we'll talk about hyperinflation in a sec, but I just want to um, address this issue of uh, safe haven, gold safe haven status. Now, what we saw in the summer is uh, as the panic in Europe started to unfold, People rushed to gold, and gold had this this spike to um, $1,930. Now, so people perceived it as a safe haven, and that's the kind of conventional thinking. But actually, when things get really tight, as in 2008 and as in last month, it kind of loses itself safe haven status, and people bizarrely prefer the U.S. dollar. And there's a flight to to cash. So, how safe a haven is gold? Well, it doesn't lose its safe haven status. You know, that's uh, the talk in the media and whatnot. But you really have to ask yourself, what is a safe haven in the first place? A safe haven is someplace where you can have your wealth placed and you know that your wealth is going to, you know, not be uh, affected. So, for example, if you own a home, 
um, and your home is a safe haven. You're going to have the utility of that house, you know, as long as you own it. Uh, and it's the same thing with gold. The point I'm making is is that gold does not have any counterparty risk. Uh, financial assets do. Uh, and in a uh, financial bust like the one we're going through, uh, a safe haven will be a tangible asset that preserves your wealth come what may. Your wealth is not, is not based on someone's promise. Uh, it's based on the utility of the tangible asset that you own. It's interesting because when liquidity gets tight, when people are are panicking um, it's hard to sell a loser and a lot of people have earned some money out of gold uh, particularly those who you know trade gold uh, they'll think oh well, I've got a winner there let me bank that while I've still got it I'm sure that drove some of the selling pressure so it's easier to sell a winner than it is a loser secondly people will have sold gold to make margin calls elsewhere um, so in a, in a liquidity event gold still suffers despite over the longer term, it, it being a, a, a safe haven. But if this banking crisis goes on and on and on, at a certain stage, they can't bail out every bank, or can they? Um, so when banks start going bust, people will want to get their wealth out, outside of banks. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, keep in mind um, what you were saying about, you know, gold going down in a liquidity event. What asset did not go down over the past, you know, couple of months during this liquidity event? Basically, every asset has been hit in terms of its price. So gold is no different in that regard. And similarly, with regard to volatility, you know, people say there's a lot of volatility in gold. But look at the U.S. stock market as example. Uh, the VIX index, which is a measure of volatility, uh, tripled uh, from 15 to 45 over a two-month period. Uh, because of all of the problems that we were seeing on, in uh, U.S. stock market prices. So uh, what I generally recommend to people, and I've been saying this you know, all decade long, is you have to ask yourself first, why are you buying gold? Are you a trader uh, or a speculator and just want exposure to the gold price? You know, that's one thing. You, know, you can buy a variety of different alternatives and you know, trade metal or whatever. But for most people, I really think that you should be looking gold as a form of savings. You know, gold is money, and money you can do two things. You can spend it or you save it. Right now, because gold is undervalued, you want to accumulate it and save it. And if you're in that camp, you shouldn't really be focusing so much on the price, um, because the trend is going higher. Um, and if you buy on a certain day of the month under accumulation program, you know, to uh, cost average um, um, the position that you're accumulating, some months will be higher, some months are going to be lower. And most importantly, um, you know, touching upon a point that you were making, once you um, take that kind of strategy, you eliminate the emotional aspects out of accumulating any asset. Um, so, you know, the success, you know, to long-term investing and portfolio management is to accumulate undervalued assets, uh, do it on a rigorous basis, uh, and continue doing it until that asset becomes overvalued. And all of my historical measures still show gold is very, very undervalued. Central bankers don't want another 2008 collapse, although it, we seem to be on the verge of one. And it's widely agreed that what drove that liquidity crisis was the fact that they let, let Lehman Brothers go bust. So now the stance is to bail out significant banks. This, uh, is it Alexia? Is the current Dexia. Bank? Dexia, beg your pardon. 
uh, the cost of bailing out that bank is, I believe, 180 billion or so. Yeah, they're splitting it into a good bank and a bad bank. And uh, the latest I've seen is that the bad bank will take on 180 billion euro worth of assets. Think about that. That's the bad bank, um, which is you know obviously several times the size of uh, Dexia's capital base. Now, the interesting thing, uh, Dominic, is you can move those bad assets around. But at the end of the day, uh, it, so those assets have to be, those loans have to be repaid or they have to be written off. Now, given the fact that they're being moved into a bad bank, you have to assume that a good portion, if not all of those assets, are going to be written off. But, but even if only half of that is written off, who's going to pay for it? I mean, where's the 90 billion euros going to come from? Uh, is it going to come from, you know, taxpayers in Belgium and in France? Um, that's what they seem to be suggesting is going to happen. But the other issue is, well, what happens when the next bank uh, goes belly up and has to be split into a good bank or bad bank? Well, uh, this, is what I'm work this is what I'm working towards. Uh, what, do, they, do they bail out every bank? Well, simply, you simply cannot. Because I mean, because if, if, if we're in a kind of, if, if hyperinflation is a psychological event in that people suddenly perceive their money as, as valueless, if, if banks continue to be bailed out, we are teetering towards... The, the psychology where people will think, well, what's the point of, of saving cash at all? That, that's exactly right. You know, hyperinflation is a function of supply as well as a function of demand for money. And if people start seeing that the money is becoming increasingly risky, um, they will spend that money. That increases the, uh, the velocity of money, and that's one of the contributors to uh, hyperinflation. You get a flight out of the currency. But, you know, the reality is, is that during the boom years, too many loans were made by the banks, and too much money was borrowed by the borrowers. And um, those loans are far beyond the capacity of the borrowers to repay. A lot of loans have to be written off, and you cannot, you cannot hide those assets by putting them into a bad bank. Sooner or later, those assets have to be dealt with. But if, if they don't bail out banks and they let banks go bust, then suddenly you're in a situation where people are at the risk of losing their savings. So then you, I know, I mean, I know I'm going into the difference between investment and commercial banking and so on and so forth, but suddenly that becomes a very real risk, at which point people try and get their money out of banks and out of the banking system altogether, and then things are starting to look very dicey then. Yeah, that's like what happened during Northern Rock, um, that, you know, at the start of the financial crisis, and that was actually August 2007. Um, I expect to see more Northern Rocks. In fact, there is a run going on in the banking system in, in Europe right now. If you look at the aggregate deposits in banks uh, in continental Europe, um, the aggregate deposits are actually going down, even in Germany, uh, meaning that people are not just exiting the banks, but they're exiting the euro because the outlook is so bleak, and they're going into other alternatives. That's why the U.S. dollar has had a bear market bounce here. Uh, it's benefited from money fleeing continental Europe. But, you know, we shouldn't think that the dollar's any better than the euro, because at the end of the day, it's not. Um, have you seen an increased amount of business at gold money, despite the falling gold price? Yeah, in fact, um, you know, uh, August and September were two of our biggest months uh, ever uh, in the history of gold money. Um, you know, I, I, there are two types of gold uh, buyers. You've got the trend followers who tend to buy on rising prices, and then you have the accumulators. They tend to buy when uh, the price falls. Um, and, uh, you know, the accumulators, I think, had been waiting in the wings because they saw gold taking off, doing so well earlier this year. So there's been a tremendous amount of money, you know, coming into the physical metals over the past couple months. 
And I think the other factor, of course, is the news events. You know, the news events are highlighting the fact that there are so many risks in the financial system uh, today that, you know, you really do need a safe haven, and that means you have to move into a tangible asset because only tangible assets avoid counterparty risk. That's the whole key of, uh, of what a safe haven is all about. A lot of us, as well as wanting to protect what we already have, we want to become very rich. And uh, gold is in a bull market, and uh, the way that, it's, that, that we're promised untold wealth is, is through the gold miners. And yet, if you look at the ratio of gold to the gold miners, particularly the Canadian ones, it's at extremely low levels. In other words, the miners have unperformed badly, whether it's actual producers uh, or tiddly little explorers. W would you care to give us your opinion on that, whether that will change, uh, and any opinions you have on the underperformance of miners? Yeah, uh, they've been underperforming pretty much all decade long. Uh, which is really quite stunning, but it's actually not too surprising if you go back and look at it. Um, what had happened was is that we were in a bear market in the mining shares. That bear market started after the collapse of Briex in the late 1990s, and it continued through the selling climax after the Lehman Brothers collapse in 2008. Um, so you had negative sentiment in a bear market anyway, and that negative sentiment was contributed by the mining companies that had put on disastrous hedge programs and blew up. Uh, and, you know, people are thinking, well, why should I, you know, bet on management when I can just buy gold instead and not have to worry about it? Um, so, but the big factor, of course, in the past decade is that the input costs in the operating and mining companies, you know, costs of energy, costs of labor, et cetera, those input costs were rising faster than the gold price. So you had margins being squeezed and the mining shares were having a tough time, the mining companies were having a tough time making any profits. So with bad sentiment and falling profits, you had a bear market in the mining shares. Even was, while it, the was it really a bear market? Even like kind of you know in the in the early part of the noughties? I mean, the, the, some of the price rises were pretty strong. Yeah, you had bear market rallies uh, in a price rise, but if you look at the valuations, allowing for the inflation of the basement of the dollar over the past ten years, uh, you know the mining shares in two thousand eight were being sold at penny of pennies on the dollar compared to where they were ten years earlier. So you know. We're now in the first stage of the bull market in the uh, mining shares. Um, the first stage is one where you see disbelief. Last stage of the bear market, I, I, it seems like to me. No, it's, it's the first stage of the, of the bull market. You get a lot of uh, people um, worried and nervous about whether you know, the value is there, but rarely do you go wrong when you buy value. And you know, there is good value if you're prepared to take the risks of mining shares. But you know, similar, similarly, there's very uh, good value still in gold bullion itself. So it's a question, you want to make an investment or you want to hold cash? Um, and it's up for every individual to decide what portion of their portfolio should go into each of those, those sections. But obviously holding cash, in other words, holding bullion is the safest play. Okay. Um, we decided before we did this interview that 15 minutes would be the optimum length for it, and we're at about the 15-minute mark now. So uh, let's close, James, with your thoughts on silver. Yeah. Um, you know, silver, it's... As I've always said, it's more, I'm more bullish on silver than I am on gold in the long run, but you have to accept the volatility that comes with silver if you're going to own it. Um, you know, the fundamentals are still very, very good. Nothing has changed. If anything, we're seeing, you know, shortages of silver. Yeah, we've seen the U.S. Mint numbers coming out. Uh, we've had reports of coin dealers. Their shelves, shelves are bare. 
you know, so there are fabrication issues that there's just not enough fabrication capacity to meet demand at these low prices. Also, I've been following the interest rates very carefully on both gold and silver. And although it doesn't show it, it looks like the metals are really in backwardation, uh, you know, given these low prices. So I expect an upward adjustment in prices um, uh, as we go forward from here. And let me just add, I'm very pleased that you're going to be doing these podcasts for the Gold Money Foundation. Uh, hopefully you would invite me back to one in the future again, but I know you're going to have a variety of different people uh, participating in these, and you know, thank you for um, doing this for the Gold Money Foundation. Okay, well, my pleasure, James, and I, th- I think it's probably in my interest to invite you back, but anyway. Um, last question for you, a moral question, um, and that's about the, the morals of hoarding gold. I mean, you know, the, I think it was the Warren Buffett quote, what's the point of digging it, something out of the ground only to stick it back in the ground again? Um, is there not a more productive thing for the gold to be doing? Could it not be being invested rather than hoarded? Could, you know, if it's just sitting there and doing nothing, it's kind of not benefiting anyone. You know, um, that Warren Buffett quote, I discussed something similar to, um, uh, to that logic with Milton Friedman back at New Orleans in a conference there back in the 1990s. And uh, he said essentially the same thing. And I said, well, you know, this isn't a perfect world, and we need gold in order to keep governments under control, keep government spending under control. You know, I said if it was a perfect world, we wouldn't need policemen, uh, you know, walking the beat. Um, But, you know, gold is the same kind of thing. It it provides discipline. So, you know, it has for 5,000 years, uh, and I expect it to continue to provide that discipline for the foreseeable future. The interesting thing is, is that, For 40 years, we've been experimenting with fiat currency. Uh, The attributes that made gold as money in the first place have not been lost uh, or destroyed. They've only been ignored or forgotten. And as this experiment with fiat currencies uh, is clearly not working well, more and more people are discovering, you know, the whole aspect of why they're holding gold, which actually brings me to your question. Um, To live in a free world, people have to choose for themselves what they want to do. Um, You can hold uh, gold and put it in your safe deposit box, or you can deposit your gold in a bullion bank and let them lend it to somebody else. Um, What I'm in favor of is letting people choose what they want to do with their own money. You know, competitive currencies open up the forces of the free market and get government out of the money business. You know, there's a saying in the United States about separation of church and state, um, and it should be extended to separation of bank and state. Um, in that kind of environment, I think there will be much stronger, um, uh, or rather put it this way, a much more friendly environment for human liberty. My own 2P on this particular subject is, you know, I've got my little gold hoard, and when I feel the economic conditions are right, I'll go and spend it. But until then, I'm, I'm stuck in my bunker. That's what a free market is all about. It's all about choice. All right, well, James Turk, why don't you give out your website? (laughs) Goldmoney.com or goldmoneyfoundation.org. Okay, it's been a real pleasure, and thank you for lunch. Thanks. Subscribe to the Gold Money newsletter at www.goldmoney.com to receive email updates on new articles, videos, and iTunes podcasts from our Gold Research section. (laughs) 